0: Uh, if you have your Bible, please turn to Luke 4. That will be the sermon text for this morning. Uh, if you're using one of our chair Bibles, if you don't have your own Bible, you can pull one out of the back of one of the chairs in front of you. Uh, if you're using one of those, it'll be on page 859. So Natalie's going to come and read first from Genesis 3, 1 through 15. So if you, if you have your spot in Luke, you can kind of flip back almost to the very beginning of your Bible in Genesis 3. She'll read Genesis 3, 1 through 15, followed by Luke 4, 1 through 13. Then I'll come and pray, and then open God's word together. Natalie. Genesis 3, 1 through
1: 15. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Luke 4, 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time.
0: Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us by it. We thank you that you show us who we are. That, we, that you show us who you are and what you have done To take us, people who were worthy of your wrath. And through the sending of your Son, through his life, death, and resurrection in our place, and by faith in him, you have made us your sons and daughters. Would you amaze us again that we are yours today? And would you help us as we face temptation? Would you help us to fight? And would you help us to win? Not because we are so strong, but because you are. And so we look to you. We ask for grace. We ask for wisdom. We ask for guidance. We ask for strength. We ask mostly for you. For your presence. For your glory through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We saw last week from the last part of Luke 3 that Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is God's beloved Son who became one of us in order to save us. And we mentioned then that we were going to hear that Son of God theme come up again in Luke 4. And did you hear it? Two of the three temptations. The devil says, if you are the Son of God, then do this. And so... Luke is building kind of these three episodes, the two we looked at last week the baptism and the genealogy, and then the temptation of Christ at the outset of his ministry to say he really is the Son of God. And this morning, setting up that this is a battle between God and Satan. Where we saw last week Jesus is qualified to be the Messiah. Because of His birth, because of who He is, and because He identifies with us. He's the King. He's the Savior. He meets all the requirements. And this week, as we see the temptation of Christ, we'll see that not only is He qualified because of His birth and His baptism, He passes the test. That everyone else before Him had failed, and everyone since Him Has failed, and that he did it in our place. The big idea this morning from Luke 4 1 through 13 is this. Because Jesus passed the test when he was tempted, we can too. Because Jesus passed the test when he was tempted, we can too. And before we get to just like, oh, well, here's the strategies. This is what you do. He did it like this. So we're supposed to do it like that. The biggest thing that we should see from this this is not just a strategies for facing temptation. This is Jesus winning the battle for us. We can pass the test because he passed the test for us. On the ultimate exam one day, we will get a passing grade. More than that, a perfect score. And not because you've earned it, not because I've earned it, but because Jesus earned it for us. On the final exam, we get his grade by his grace. And then, knowing that, confident in that, not in what we have done, but in his perfect righteousness in our place, we can then pass the tests that we face day by day. And we do it the same way He did it. In the power of the Spirit and with the Word of God. Because Jesus passed the test when He was tempted, we can too. So let's see from Luke 4 how Jesus passed the test. There are many times, and I'm sure you can think of people that their promise has gone unfulfilled whether it's an athlete who has injuries that mar their career you say they they could have done so much i think if someone in the nba nba maybe doesn't mean anything to you but like derrick rose who is now pretty much a washed up nobody basketball player sorry is that an overstatement This is the time. Okay, he's coming back. So but how old was he when he won his MVP? 25. We'll go with 22 on the average, or we'll just trust that Shimri knows everything. That seems good, right? That's like, we'd vote for that. Um, either way, he was really young. You're not usually the MVP of the NBA at that age, Right? And it's like, this is only the beginning. Right? But that was the best there ever was going to be. Nobody knew it then. Right? There's a promise that's unfulfilled attached to his career. That there will always be a, yeah, but he could have been so much more. Right? And so whether it's a basketball player, or you think of others in other walks of life, where there's a young politician, they have all this promise, and then something happens. Whether it's a scandal, whether it's just they did very poorly in an election, they were supposed to win, and all of a sudden it's like they're kind of an untouchable. It's like they were on their way. They were going to be a star. And they couldn't hold it together. And we, we think of those from our culture where it's like they were on their way. They were supposed to be somebody. And they didn't make it. They didn't get over a hurdle. And sometimes it's not their own fault. Sometimes it is. But we very often face potential that is unfulfilled. And this is a question that's raised in this temptation of Christ. Will He fulfill the promise of His potential? We've been building Him up. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. This is who He is. This is what He's going to do. Will He fulfill the promise of His potential? Or will he be derailed? As promised in Genesis 3, which Natalie read for us, Jesus, the seed of the woman, will crush the head of the serpent. And his heel will be bruised in the process. His whole ministry from this moment forward will be a battle between God and the devil. Between good and evil, and we will see the forces of evil at work all along the way, even as Jesus is fulfilling the ministry that God the Father had given him. And this reality is brought into sharp relief in this episode, right at the outset of Jesus' ministry. If we can do a spoiler alert, he passes the test, (laughs) he will go on to have the best career ever. He'll pass this test, and he'll pass all the other ones too. Jesus passed the test for us. And he did it in an interesting place. He did it in the wilderness. Look at Luke 4 and verse 1 again. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he would have been baptized, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And we think about where he passed the test and even the significance of that in the story. Natalie read to us from Genesis 3. Jesus faces his test really the opposite of the way that the first people did. I mean, think about Adam and Eve. They're not in a wilderness. They're in a garden of delight. They're not hungry. They haven't been fasting for 40 days. They have all the trees of the garden they can eat from. They have every delight they could possibly enjoy. They had everything in the garden of delight with God's very presence with them. And Jesus does what the first man, Adam, failed to do. Adam faced that temptation and he, along with his wife, failed. She was deceived by the serpent. Adam, we're told, was not deceived. He took it. says, yeah, this is desirable. This is what I want. And he plunged all of us into sin. He had a beautiful place to enjoy, filled with delight, filled with God himself, and says, no, I will believe Satan's lies. And Satan is still telling lies. He's telling lies to Jesus here. We'll see that in a couple minutes. And he's telling lies to us today. But Jesus succeeded where Adam and Eve failed. They trusted Satan's word over God's word, right? He said, "Did God really say that?" Like, huh? Ah, uh, not sure. It's Satan's going, he does, he, God just doesn't want you to know what he knows. He doesn't want you to experience the fullness of his blessing. God's holding back something. God's holding out on you. If you go with me, you will get what you have always wanted. And Satan offers Jesus in the second temptation as it's listed here. A shortcut to the throne. This whole suffering thing, like, God's holding out on you. If you're the son of God, why are you alone in the wilderness? You want to be a king, right? Here's the pathway. You just worship me, I'll give you all this. Now, Satan is referred to as the ruler of this world. He's the ruler of the world that Jesus casts out. But he's saying, I have all this. But even if he is the ruler of the world, even that is under God's sovereign control. And it doesn't belong to him in a way that he could give away to Jesus anyway. But he's lying to them in the garden. And he's lying to Jesus. In verse 7 he says, If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. It's the throne without the process. There's no shortcut. God's holding out on you. The Son of God wouldn't have to live like this Right? You think even of the first temptation. Turn this stone into bread. Jesus is hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's in the wilderness being tempted. So, based on, on the grammar of this text, it's he's been being tempted for the whole time by Satan. And here are three that are right at the end. So, it's not just that Jesus is floating along with his life all happily and like, oh, Satan shows up. It's so that he's there tempting him the whole time. And these are given to us as examples. Perhaps as illustrations, true examples, true illustrations. But at the end of those days when he was hungry, when he'd been alone, when he's tired, Satan comes to tempt. And he tempts him with bread. If you're the son of God, just do this. Like, why should the son of God go hungry? Why do you need to do this? Just Use your powers to get what you want for yourself. Adam and Eve used their little bit of power to grab a piece of fruit and eat it. But Jesus knew that life doesn't consist in food. Life doesn't consist in what we put into our bodies. And He quotes from Deuteronomy 8. He says, You shall not live by bread alone. And the rest of that verse, which is quoted in full in Matthew's version of this story, is that it's not just that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Later on, another time when he's hungry in John 4, speaking, of, speaking to the woman at the well. and He hadn't eaten in a while and the disciples come back and like, aren't you hungry? We need to get something to eat. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus is not going to be tricked into doing party tricks for the devil. He says, I get my food, I get my life, not from, from bread, but from the very word of God. Where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus Succeeded. But Adam and Eve aren't the only parallel here, right? We can think of a people, Israel, who's called God's son. Adam's called God's son, even in the very last verse of what we read last week, as we're going through the genealogy, it goes all the way back to Adam, the son of God. And now there's a, a second son of God, Israel. God's son, who's called out of Egypt And Israel spent 40 years, sound familiar? 40 days, 40 years, in the wilderness, wandering. Interestingly, one of the big things that you probably remember about what, what did they do in that time? One of the things was they complained about not having anything to eat. Right? They're complaining about food. And even the food that God gives them, providing for them day by day with manna. They're like, ah, we don't want this. We want good stuff to eat. We want meat. They kept wanting to go back to Egypt. Back to slavery. Back to a place where, as Jesse led us earlier, the promises had not been fulfilled. And where Joseph had the faith to say, hey, when you go, take me with you. Even if I've been dead for a long, long time, take my bones. They're on their way and going, "Ah, you know what, it was easier back there. We didn't need to depend on God for our sustenance back there. We had everything we needed. They complained about not having anything to eat. Jesus actually had nothing to eat for these 40 days. And then the second temptation that's listed here that we've already mentioned is where the devil's saying, worship me and I'll give you all this stuff. They didn't get very far before they're worshiping the golden calf. Saying, these are your gods. But Jesus, in passing the test where they failed, refuses to worship the devil. And then the last temptation of Christ in Luke's Telling of it. Jesus answers from Deuteronomy 6 says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And this is what the children of Israel did over and over and over again. They put the Lord to the test with their complaining. And it's like, Why is this the answer to that temptation? Look at that one. That's in verse 9 and following. He took him, the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, the devil's tricky. He's about to quote scripture to try to get Jesus to abandon the Father's will. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He says, the Lord has promised to take care of his people. He's promised to take care of you. This is a quote from Psalm 91. It says the Lord will take care of you. If you're really the Son of God, you should be able to jump from here. You have God's promise. He'll take care of you. You won't be hurt. And Jesus says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So it's not about that. This isn't about putting on a show. Jesus didn't come to put on a show or do party tricks. He came to suffer in our place. He came to fulfill the Father's will. He says, you don't put God to the test like that. And we think about, like, well, how, how do we tend to do that? You know, I, I'm not planning to jump off any buildings today um, to, for God to prove his protection of me. Right? That, Yeah, I'm getting a few like that wouldn't be a good idea. Thanks for that confirmation, Tim. So, how do we, if we don't put God to the test like that, how do we tend to put God to the test? Well, have you ever prayed something like that, like this? God, if you really love me, you will. God, if I'm really yours, would you? If you really care, you'll show it by, right, giving me this, giving me that, not letting that happen. That's how I'll know God loves me. And we put very specific conditions on his love. Like this would have been a very specific condition. There's a general promise. I'm going to protect you. It's like, all right, let's test that. We're called not to put the Lord our God to the test. And Jesus. refuses to when he is tempted by the devil. But this is what Israel did like every day. (laughs) right? They repeatedly put the Lord to the test. And so the point here early on, even in reviewing these, is to see that Jesus, in opposite circumstances of Adam where he had the Garden of Delight, and in perhaps similar circumstances to Israel where they're in the wilderness, they feel lost. They feel like they're hungry. where Adam failed and plunged all of us into sin and ruin, where Israel failed and could not act as the true Son of God, Jesus, the true and final Son of God, who through Him we become sons and daughters, Jesus passed the test. That even these example temptations that were given point us back and make us think about Genesis 3. Make us think about the Exodus and go, wow, what a Savior. Where everyone else failed. Where we have failed. We've all failed tests like these. All our lives. And Jesus never did. And the good news for us is that it's all about Him. This is all about Him and His glory and Him passing the test, but He passed the test for a reason. He passed the test for a purpose, not just to show that He's the Son of God, but so that He could pass the test for us, so that He could save us. He faced temptation in the wilderness, but He also passed the test in our place. It's not just that He did it. He did it for us, we learn in Romans 5 that we are counted righteous through the righteousness of Christ. Paul argues from the logic of because we were plunged into sin through the disobedience of just one man, through the disobedience of Adam, we were all plunged into sin. He says, through the obedience of one, we are all made righteous. We get Jesus' righteousness counted to us by faith. Jesus is the last Adam, the one who always did what was right, and the one who could therefore become a life-giving spirit. Jesus is the true Israel who wholly follows God's will. See, to be able to die for our sins, Jesus couldn't have any of his own. Not even one. And Jesus obeyed the Father all the way. He always lived for God's glory. Even when it meant facing the cross for us. Jesus is the faithful Son of God. Jesus came to defeat the devil. To overcome sin, death, and the grave. And the battle starts In this story, where the devil's trying to trip him up, trying to get him to abandon God's plan, trying to get him to walk outside of God's will and go his own way, the battle started here, and it would culminate at the cross, where Jesus won the decisive battle. Jesus has really been tempted. Hebrews 2 we read from earlier, but Hebrews 4, 14-16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What are we supposed to do with this? Why does it matter that he passed the test here? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet Without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. We need mercy new every morning for our sins and grace to help in time of need. See, in the gospel, we we don't only get forgiveness for our sins. And our life as Christians now is not just like, well, we just keep sinning, but we just know we confess our sins and He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's that's true. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us mercy. And He gives us grace to help. Because He Himself was tempted, He's able to help those who are being tempted. And this help is not always after the fact, providing forgiveness. I don't want us to have a, a kind of cut short gospel that's like oh i'm just going to keep sinning all the time and well he's always going to be there to forgive me he's going to give us grace to help in the midst of temptation jesus was tempted like we are so he understands what we face and he never sinned which is not like we are And that's why his throne can be a throne of grace. He is a merciful and sympathetic high priest to us. Jesus, the only one who never sinned, took our sins in our place, in his body on the tree, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him and have a place with him forever. This is good, good news. We were straying. We were all going our own way. Every one of us has failed the test, just like Adam and Eve did, just like Israel did. But the good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. Jesus passed the test for us, and God gave him an A+. God gave him a perfect score. And so we can win as we face temptation this week. We can win, not because we're so great, not because we're so strong, not because we have decided to follow Jesus, but because He has won. And we win the same way He won. Jesus passed the test. He did it in the wilderness alone, and He did it in our place. And we can pass the test the way He did. Now, the first, like, wait a second, is, but he's God, right? I'm not God. You're telling me I can pass the test the same way he did. Ha, ha, ha. And you're right. Jesus does not have a sin nature, and we do. Thanks, Adam. Adam didn't have a sin nature either. And he gave in to the temptation that came from outside him. And here in this story, we see temptation coming from the outside. And we're told still to be on the lookout for temptation that comes from the outside. Right? 1 Peter 5.8 We're told to look out. The devil's like a roaring lion who's seeking those that he can devour. That's what he wants. And so we're to look out for temptation that comes to us from the outside. But as we all know, all too well, Temptation doesn't only come from the outside, right? Because now we do have a sin nature. James tells us the temptation comes from our own desires. It doesn't just come from the outside now, it comes from the inside. James 1:14, "But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown. Brings forth death. So we want to be aware of that in our fight against sin. We want to understand that the problem is not just outside us, it is inside. Sometimes we can be tempted to think that if we just remove bad influences, if we don't go to those places and aren't around those people, our hearts will be okay. But we don't need to be led into temptation. We don't need the devil to tempt us. We do just fine with that ourselves very often. We carry with us everywhere we go a vulnerability to temptation. Because it's not just outside us. It's inside us. And so you go, well, see, so, so we can't, right? Jesus didn't have that. We're in a different spot. We can't win the way that he won. Well, yes, we are weak. But Jesus is strong. And what we read together from Hebrews 2 is that because he himself suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So yes, we have a sin nature and that makes it harder. But we have Jesus, who's already passed the test for us, helping us. And he's helping us by his Spirit. We are weak, but Jesus is strong. And God is faithful. 1 Corinthians ten, twelve. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God has given us everything we need. By His divine power, He has granted us everything that we need for life and for godliness. And so we don't want to start when we think about facing temptation. We don't want to start with this defeatist attitude. It's like, well, I can't do this. It's impossible. I don't need to try. These are just gonna be, this is just gonna be my burden to bear. I'll always stumble all the time in this way. The gospel tells us a different story than that. We can pass the test because Jesus has passed the test for us and because he has given us help specifically by giving us the Holy Spirit. Luke emphasizes, and this doesn't show up in any other story of Jesus' temptation, but look back at verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. And then they do mention that he was led by the Spirit. Mark says he was driven By the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus defeats temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we say we can do it the way He did, we don't do it by our own strength, and He didn't either. He was really human. He was really hungry. This was not a mirage, right? It wasn't well, he seemed to be human and he he seemed to be hungry. He was really hungry. And so these temptations had a real pull. And even Jesus didn't fight them in his own strength. He overcame temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And back in verse 1 it says, He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. There's a way in which that means, sure, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But the word that Luke uses gives us the idea that he led him in the wilderness while he was there. It's not that the Spirit says, all right, this is where you're supposed to go next. I'll catch you later. Let me know how that went. And God doesn't do that to us either. It's not like, here's your trial. wonder what's going to happen now. Maybe they'll make it, maybe not, but I'll just be over here doing my thing. No, his thing is to take care of his people. His thing is to help the weak. His thing is to walk with us. To take care of us. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we dependent? On the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you you seeking the presence of the Spirit? Yes, if you're a believer, you always have Him living in you, but are you asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit? One of the reasons we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit is so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. There are other things that can happen, wonderful things, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit of Him giving us gifts to build up one another, speaking with boldness and power for the fame of Jesus' name. But one of the really important things that happens as we are filled with the Spirit is that we're not running after those desires that come from inside us because we're being controlled by Him. And so we win the way that He won in the power of of the Holy Spirit, and with the Word of God. In the power of the Holy Spirit, and with the Word of God. We've already seen how Jesus was answering from the scriptures. He knew his Bible. And again, we go, well, that's not fair. He wrote it. I hear you. But we're going to win the same way. We didn't write it. We weren't born with it memorized. And I think, humanly speaking, he wasn't born with it memorized either. He had to learn. He grew in knowledge. He grew in wisdom. And so we don't want to just run to the, well, he's God, of course he did that. I can never. It's like, we've got to be done with that. Instead of coming up with more excuses for why we have to stay in our sin, we want to love God and see his holiness. And long to live for his glory with our lives. Let's fight for that. Let's move toward that where we can. Where are we going to learn that? In the word of God. We're going to learn that. And so, in some ways this is like, yeah, you have particular temptations and memorized verses that will help you with that. That's good, and that's valuable. And also, know God's Word. Because you don't know what temptation you're going to face tomorrow. Maybe work on your particular temptations that you already know. Say, okay, I need Scripture that's going to remind me of what is true. That I can just call to mind that I don't have to go, well, it's somewhere in the Old Testament. But I know it is written. But then also, know God's Word. Know the story of of the Gospel. Know the Word of His grace. Know the story of His grace. We fight like Jesus did in the power of the Spirit and with the Word of God. And one other just word for us as we think about facing temptation. Jesus had to face this temptation. It was the way it had to be. The Spirit led Him here. And we must face temptation too. There, there are some trials that we cannot avoid. There are some temptations that we must face, that are ordained for us, that the devil means to destroy us with, and that God means to sanctify us with, to make us more like Him. We must face temptation. But, when you think about like strategy, where you can... Don't face temptation at all. That's one of the ways not to give in to it. Flee from it instead. 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul's writing to a young pastor. He says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. He says, run away. So if we are taking the fight against sin seriously, we will avoid temptation wherever we can. So, if you can't stay away from a good fight, don't be on Twitter. And maybe Facebook. (laughs) If you can't stay away from a good fight, don't go there. Because we know... From James, that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So there's a text that we can memorize and remember my anger. But I'm right! <laughs> oh, no, we're not supposed to do that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so for real right flee temptation we can use up so much time being angry about things on the internet and we're missing out on loving the neighbors who are right next to us dating or engaged couples who struggle with sexual sin avoid the scenarios that lead you to temptation you know what they are It's not rocket science. You know. And so, avoid it. Guys or girls who are tempted toward pornography, pray the Lord's Prayer when you begin to feel the pull of temptation. There's a lot of great stuff in there, and one of those lines is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one you pray that prayer before you click or before you set yourself up to be alone with a phone or computer at night with unfiltered internet access. That's kind of like a recipe for disaster, especially if you know that's how you're tempted. If we're going to be serious in the fight against sin, we want to do whatever we can to make it seem hard for us to make it hard for us and to make it seem like the craziness that it is. And so that's not a super like spiritual sounding step like make it hard but it can be part of how God works to keep you from sin. And this isn't pharisaism. This isn't legalism. This is taking seriously the call to repentance in Luke 3. It says, turn from your sin and walk in a different way. It's praying the Lord's Prayer. Especially, lead us not into temptation with some integrity. And of course, we cannot flee every temptation. Right? You come home from work and your kids are still there. Or moms, you get up in the morning And the kids are still there. You cannot flee every temptation. Right? And so if you struggle with anger, right? God has a lot to say about that. And God has a lot to say about how he feels about our sin and about what he has done for us through his son to take care of that. And when that's on our hearts... And that's deep within us as the Spirit is controlling us and working on us. There can be a patience that's not ours by nature. There can be a newness of life for us. It's not just about kids. Sorry, kids. Right? Because there's temptations you face at work. It's like, you can't be like, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Because I'm tempted to anger. Like, they're kind of on your team right? It's like, you can't do that, right? So where we can't flee temptation, then we especially look to the power of the Holy Spirit, and we look to how God has led us already through His Word. So fleeing's not the only strategy, but please don't forget it. Are we really struggling against sin? Let's do what we can to make it Hard to sin in the ways that we know we're tempted. And let's not do it alone. Jesus had to face the devil alone. He couldn't have disciples around him. He needed to do this for us, he needed to win in the ways that everyone else had failed. But we don't have to do this alone. There's a whole lot in the New Testament about doing this together about being together, about encouraging one another, exhorting one another. Day by day, Hebrews 3, so that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Even in the Lord's Prayer, it's it's not lead me not into, into temptation. It's lead us. It's a prayer we pray together for one another. So let's seek help. Because Jesus passed the test when he was tempted. We can too. Not in our own strength. In the power of the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God. And you still say, "You know, I just can't withstand temptation. You don't know my struggle. Maybe I don't. But Jesus does. And He is able. And He is ready to help us when we're tempted. We will face temptations every day of our lives. And God is faithful. He gives us a way to escape. And He has given us the Holy Spirit. Yes, we will stumble and fall. And when we do, we look again to Jesus, who is our advocate with the Father. The Father sees his perfect record and applies it to our account. Jesus passed this test in the wilderness and everyone the rest of his life, all the way to the test of the cross for us in our place. What grace we have received. Let's love him. Let's worship him. Let's live for him in the power of the Holy Spirit with the word of God. Let's pray. Oh God, we are weak. We are weak. But would you remind us today, tomorrow, the next day that you are strong. So that we don't have to give in to sin the way we did before. We don't have to just give up. We can fight. And yes, we will stumble and fall and let us look to you for forgiveness. And then let us get out there and fight again. Let us fight for love. Let us fight for joy. Let us fight for peace. Let us fight for holiness. Let us fight for unity. Let us fight for righteousness. Let us fight for justice. Oh God, and would you empower us by your spirit. And would we live according to your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.